You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be speaking with Max Mosier. He is a freelance DP and director uh, who makes uh, amazing nonprofit films, and uh, we've been blessed to work with his um, skill set and talents in the past. Max, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So can you tell me a little bit about your company, how maybe you got started, give some background, historical context for how you got to where you're at now, and was it a calling or just something that you were good at and you followed your talents and you've arrived here now today? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm primarily just a, a freelance kind of um, alternate between being kind of one man band director, editor, uh, DP, and then kind of serving in specific roles on bigger crews too. So I'll DP um, commercials and um, a bunch of different projects. So it's kind of a variety of different work. Um, but it's just me. Yeah. Maximos productions is the company name, but that's just almost temporary. I just couldn't come up with a name <laughs> that I wanted to commit to at the time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've always been since junior high, sixth or seventh grade, uh, video and film was, um, kind of what my passion's been since I got a, since I first got a video camera. Um, and at some point, uh, yeah, growing up, I would like want to go through all the different kind of typical job paths. Like I wanted to be an astronaut or a football player, or a baseball player. And then at some point, yeah, around sixth grade, I discovered, I was like, wait, I, I think I just like movies. Like I, cause I watched remember the Titans and I was like, Oh, I want to be a football player. Or I watched October sky and I was like, I really want to be an astronaut. It's like, I think I actually just like the movie part of it. <laughs> uh, so that was kind story of the, part. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so just I always found stories really powerful. I was writing was kind of always my thing growing up too in grade school, even um, writing short stories and uh, in junior high and high school too. So yeah, so, so I started doing uh, videos semi-professionally in some sense in high school, just weddings and um, jobs like that. And I ended up going to a small school. I'm from Boise, Idaho. I went to a small school outside of there called Northwest Nazarene University. Um, it was like the only school in Idaho there that had kind of a film program. Um, so I went there, got a degree in, in mass communication and then in English literature as well. And then, um, yeah, movies was kind of the end goal still at that point. Uh, during college, I I got more into documentary film as well. Um, but definitely the the end goal was still to kind of write and direct, um, be a screenwriter was still kind of the, the main uh, thrust of what my job trajectory probably I thought was at the time. Um, but yeah, on graduating, I had a few kind of different um, internship opportunities out there and kind of the last one that came through 
was uh, one for World Vision, um, which I had never heard of World Vision before. Like I had no clue what they what they did. I had like no sense of the NGO space or anything like that. Um, but it was a fellowship with World Vision International as a ten month position um, out in the Seattle area where they're headquartered. And so I applied for that, like not even knowing what it was, um, and that was kind of the one job that sort of fell into place and that it seemed like a a good fit um and it said like maybe might include some travel which wasn't even at that time i didn't even really have a desire to travel per se um Mm -hmm. and so yeah fell into that and moved out to seattle for that job and within it ended up being this really kind of uh transformative internship that uh every yeah everything that's good that's happened to me career-wise has been something I haven't really planned. And that definitely fits into that mold, right? I had no clue what the organization even did. And then within two weeks of being on the job, they were flying me to El Salvador and Honduras to film. That was a migrating kids crisis. That's when that was um, really spiking during like the Obama administration. There's still obviously an issue today, but, but that was a, that was one of the big kind of wave of, mm-hmm. of women and children was coming towards the border. So, um, yeah, my second week on the job was out, was out interviewing people in, uh, wow. in, uh, El Salvador and Honduras. So it, yeah, it turned into, I did that actually position twice in a row then. So I did two 10 month fellowships with, um, WVI and the second, during the second stint, they were really flexible with like, they knew I wanted to be kind of freelance then and kind of jump more into, um, documentary and commercial space and so they really flexible with my schedule with like different freelance jobs i i came up with but um yeah within that first 10 months i went to honduras el salvador haiti south sudan and kenya um and and that's kind of been my main world vision is still kind of my main client and that's kind of been my main um uh source of work and type of work since then so that was that was five years ago that I, the 2014 was my, um, when I graduated and when I had my fellowship. So you've kept an ongoing relationship with them and, and continued to help them produce content on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yes. I've done. Yeah. Every, every year up until this year, probably, um, the majority of my work has been for world vision. They're so big that it's almost like I, I essentially have like five or six clients, um, but it's all within the one umbrella organization. But I'll I'll do work for World Vision US, World Vision International, World Vision Canada, um, Vision Fund, um, and they're each kind of their own separate entities and have their own uh, particular bents. Um, so it's yeah, it's been a, a really a really cool experience. Definitely something I didn't ever see myself getting into. Um, if you told me in college, yeah, that I would have traveled as much as I had now, or was doing the type of things I was doing now. I don't even know if I'd be excited because I just wouldn't even have, have a context for what that <laughs> would mean, but it's been really fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, just the Lord had a complete different direction for you, kind of similar to how I got into this, just pursuing something else entirely and a complete 180 shift into um, yeah, telling stories for ministries. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What are the what are some of the current projects that you've been working on lately that you're particularly proud of and excited about? Um, it's a good question. So I just got back from uh, 
kind of a two month whirlwind of trips. I was in I was in Malawi for two weeks uh, for World Vision, and that was a pretty unique. Um, that was a video series we were shooting for a major donor conference they have every year, and I've shot shot that video series the last four years. Um, but each year they kind of change it a little bit, and this time we were actually like camping out in the field with um with a well drilling team um, for like a week. So it was a, that was a pretty unique trip. Um, I hadn't had that kind of, uh, on the ground experience, I guess, before where, yeah, I was sleeping in a tent behind this little church, uh, and then waking up the drill crew every morning, heading out to, um, to drill for water. Uh, so I won't be editing that, but I'm excited for that project to come together. Um, and then I, I had a week in Norway. I'm good friends with his name's Peter McKinnon. He's a youtube photographer um so i've been director of photography on quite a few of his projects this year um and so we did a a project with a a music licensing company um that's about one of their composers in norway um that's coming together now and then uh the one i'm probably most excited about is then i went straight from there to honduras for two weeks and um that was another project for world vision, but it's focusing on these youth youth programs. They run there called youth ready, um, that trains kids, uh, like post high school and gives them, um, trade skills. And then once they go through the program, they can either get a scholarship to go to college, they'll get placed in an internship or they can get a loan to start a small business. Mm. Um, and so it was a really cool, uh, we followed three, uh, different youth um, and just kind of explored their stories and yeah, some real sobering uh, interactions for sure. We were in some pretty like dangerous neighborhoods and some kids, what, at least one of them had been in, in MS 13 previously and hmm. um, it was pretty, yeah. So just people who had seen some had gone through some pretty traumatic experiences, but are now on uh, a really hopeful life trajectory. Uh, so I'm excited the, that that those pieces I'll be editing together. So I'm excited. I've been diving into those this week. Um, so I'm excited to kind of bring that to fruition. Yeah, that's really cool. So being able to communicate like the the need or conflict or some something difficult that these kids went through, and then be able to show the the hope on the on the back end of it with with how World Vision has come along these kids and been able to change lives, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the cool thing with, I mean, large nonprofits have their um, have their downsides, just like any kind of large company. But uh, when you see World Vision at work, especially in really vulnerable, fragile areas like that, mm-hmm. uh, is where they really shine. Um, like we'll roll into a neighborhood that no other NGO has access to and they'll, you know, be talking to the gang leader and they know who World Vision is. So they'll, you know, allow us to film there for a couple hours. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so they, they just have access to, that other that other nonprofits wouldn't because they have such a good reputation within the country and because they're so um, so big and, and so spread out across the country. Um, so it's really kind of powerful to be able to see how, how they can kind of infiltrate these neighborhoods that otherwise would be off limits. That's pretty cool. Uh, and then in situations like that, do you – how do you as a filmmaker handle those situations where it's you're going into difficult 
situations that maybe even uh, unsafe for your own well being, and and how do you like, what does that kind of look like for for a content creator and storyteller and making sure that you are being uh, respectful of the culture and respectful of the people that you're there to serve and and not just stick a camera in their face. Yeah, I mean that's always a challenge um, in any area, but yeah, especially when kind of the context is um, so fragile because it's dangerous for for you, but you know it's dangerous for the people um, you're filming too because it draws attention to them and it can cause issues down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, at least in the case of working with with World Vision, um, they're so I mean they know the people beforehand, so they're the World Vision staff. They're on the ground. They're all you know local. Hondurans and so they kind of understand the context so it really just is relying on them and being really careful to uh run everything by them before I just go running off to you know shoot something that that seems cool which is what I do in another context (laughs) (laughs) Um, making sure that making sure that your national partners uh are you're you're submitting to their their leadership and and knowledge of the culture and the situation and and allowing them to take lead on that yeah absolutely and ma- making sure that they know that you're going to respect um what you tell them and not kind of push the boundaries because um you know if you do that and and they kind of then gain trust in you then obviously then often a few days in um they'll kind of open up to letting you do a little bit more but they're obviously really cautious at the beginning because they don't know um what your style is going to be or how brash you're going to be um, right so it's always, yeah, really important just to be really deferential to, to their advice and to their kind of sense of the situation. Yeah. Making sure that you're trying to not just be there to tell a story and take something from them, but actually build a relationship with the people that you're there to um, support and serve. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, we're telling these stories so that we can uh, continue to do work like this. And uh, it, I think it's easy to just take a story and and forget that like that's that's someone's story that's someone's um whether it's their upbringing or some type of transformation that happened in their life that's theirs and if we just are there to take we're not being respectful of that person we're not we're not loving that person well by doing that and so i think it's important to keep that in mind and think of I don't know if I see it a lot, but I know that there's organizations that are out there that just go and tell stories and are brash about how they do that and don't respect the space that they're in. And so, um, yeah, Yeah. it's a cool reminder. Yeah, absolutely. Because ultimately the goal of this type of storytelling is to enable better um, programming and allow the programs to to flourish. Yeah. And the last thing you'd ever want to do is – in the midst of that somehow get in the way of their in the future being able to reach people. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that, that's obviously the antithesis of anything you're trying to accomplish by, uh, by, by telling the, those stories to begin with. Yeah. So that's a good transition. Uh, how, do, how do you guys, how do you go about educating organizations on the need for great storytelling? And maybe, maybe you're not having to do this because organizations are just coming to you because of your history and the body of work that you've created. But I think uh, God is obviously working in powerful ways globally through ministries that we serve and the stories 
can inspire action towards prayerful and financial investment and the and the support of the programs that these organizations are building up. Um, but oftentimes we find ministries just still don't quite realize the power of great storytelling. And so how do you go about educating clients on the power of story and what stories what stories are important to tell? Yeah, so most of the um, the organizations, like you said, they approach me about a project and they already kind of have a story in mind or, or they know that they need a story. And so that's why they would even come to me. Um, but one of the things that I kind of then try to steer that story towards is kind of breaking down the sometimes kind of unhealthy relationship, I think, that can develop between a donor and a beneficiary um, where there's a little bit even if it's totally unintentional, um, there can be kind of a dehumanization that happens there. If the story mm-hmm. kind of isn't in a, isn't steered in a certain um, direction, um, in literature, there's like the concept of the other, where uh, these other cultures are uh, made out to be this um, mysterious. Uh, concept that doesn't really relate to the world of the Western reader. And I think that can happen a lot within nonprofit documentaries as well. Um, And so that's always something that I kind of try to have in mind when I approach a project is how do I create a more kind of intimate um, bond so that people can see themselves in, in the people that we're documenting and it kind of breaks down any kind of cultural barriers or just kind of the, the barrier that can happen just from a what is this, what is a wealthy person on the on the world standard? No matter whether you're middle class in America, you're you're, you're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Um, compared to a place of of poverty, I think that can just be strange for people, mm-hmm. and it's hard for them to view themselves in that context. Um, it's like an example was I. I've done the videos for World Vision does this big outreach called the Thirty Hour Famine every year with. Um, with junior high and high school kids where they do like a lock-in at church and, um, and these kids go, they fast for 30 hours and there's all these activities that they do that kind of teach them about, um, world visions work and just kind of a larger, try to give them a larger global context. Um, so I've done video series for those the last, uh, four or five years here. And one of the first times, um, I went was, was to Kenya and we documented these three different kids, um, one in a refugee camp in Kakuma, one living outside in Kakuma, Kenya, and one outside of um, the camp there living in the town, and then one on the coast of Kenya. Um, but there was one moment where uh, the kid's name is Akai, and I was filming him. Uh, we were just with him for three days, just filming him kind of do his, his daily life. And he has this like stick toothbrush that he'd keep stuck underneath um the the flap of his tent and he'd pull that out and brush his teeth every morning so i was filming him do that and i had him do it a few times because i just thought it was really cool like where he would store the toothbrush and all that um and so then later on i was watching i was watching it i was at the youth group at this church here in seattle watching the videos with these kids and when he went and grabbed his toothbrush like there was this a collective gasp amongst everyone like oh that's his toothbrush like and it was this uh really cool moment where i was like wow i think that thing that i tried to capture really translated well um and these kids did kind of see themselves in akai briefly um and so that that's kind of the the overall philosophy that i try to 
try to bring to projects is just how do I kind of break down some of those barriers that are just naturally there mm-hmm. from people's unfamiliarity with another context. I, th- I think that idea is so um, uh, such an important topic to discuss because, and and maybe you can speak to this, but do you think that a a big reason why there is such a disconnect between the donor and the beneficiary is because organizations historically tend to uh, focus their communication on the data and the statistics and look how big this problem is. There's 40 million slaves uh, around the world. There are 640 million people that don't have clean water. Like we get, we get so organizations get so fixated on the statistics around the I, the cause and they forget to bring it back to bring their storytelling back to a single story and, and figure out how I can make that this person's story relate to someone else in, in the Western world. So uh, some donor in the Western world, like at the end of the day, that's sto- that's individual story is going to relate so much better than sharing uh, with a donor, a bunch of statistics. And, and I think if we're pushing the statistics so heavy, obviously on the flip side, there needs to be a balance of both. Like we need to be communicating how big the problem is, but only in support of communicating the stories. And, and when we can do that, we can, we can, uh, help a donor relate to a beneficiary so much more when you, when you put a face to all these numbers and you put a face to uh, the work and the cause that these organizations are, are working to eradicate or, or whatever you want to, however you want to say it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, th- I think that can be, um, that's always a challenge is how do you, how do you balance like the evidence of the great work that organizations have done with the actual tangible emotion that's going to make someone care about it. Um, and that that's always a struggle, especially when you're making, you know, ultimately a lot of this stuff, uh, at least the videos that I make are, you know, three to five minutes. And that's not a lot of time to really explore right. someone's, um, someone's psyche in a way that lets you relate to them. Plus add on, yeah. uh, these things that are, that are going to prove an organization's worth. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I think you're right. I think keeping story, in the forefront and kind of um, allowing the story to prove the statistics uh, is, is really key. And, and just keeping that human element front and foremost, rather than, um, than leading with uh, yeah, the, the stats or the, the, the analytics. Yeah. Now, how do you, around that same idea, you mentioned the idea of putting enough content to share what we're doing in a three to five minute video. Uh, are, are you seeing organizations put out longer form content? Cause we're, we're seeing, we're starting to see that users and audiences are willing to consume longer form content, especially on places like YouTube where we're, we're, uh, YouTubers like a, a Casey Neistat's putting out 10 and 15 minute videos and, and people are still staying engaged for that 10 and 15 minute time. Are you seeing organizations kind of explore longer form video content and, and maybe test some, uh, the moving away from that three to five minute push where you have to, like, it's so difficult to cram in that much information in a, in a short form piece of video content. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, there's definitely been um, 
a nice growth in kind of what runtimes people are willing to uh, have on a project. Um, one of the projects I shot earlier this year in Kenya, um, I was a DP on, and um, there's a story of a, a woman who used to be um, a, a circumciser there, and she herself had been circumcised and had this awful forced marriage. Um, and now she's, uh, reformed from that and is kind of an, an advocate for young women and, and girls. Um, and that, that's a story that I'm really excited to have finished up, but I think that that one's going to be 12 to 15 minutes, I think. So it's, um, there's definitely, a yeah, a, a willingness to kind of expand that. And a lot of the things I've shot with Peter or 10 to 15 minutes. And, um, there's definitely, if people are tied into the subject matter and you're telling a good story, the length, um, the length really doesn't matter. And, and so thankfully, yeah, that's starting to break down. Cause for a while it was, you know, if you're over two minutes, um, people are really getting nervous for no reason that it's just purely, uh, some marketing speak reason to cut early. And it's, you know, obviously you want to shape the runtime around whatever the story needs. And so if it needs to be short, that's fine. But um, there's kind of a lot of false constraints that are put on mm. things that, that really don't need to be there. Well, and I, th I think part of it is also building building up a, uh, a a consistency to your content that that there's a level of trust. Like I I know that this organization puts out such great content on a consistent basis that. You know, for the first maybe year, they put out three to five minute videos every time. And I watched every single one of those. And, and now that organization, because I trust that the content that they're, they're, they're sharing is worth my time, they can start playing with eight and 10 and 12 and 15 minute videos because I'm bought in as a, as an audience member, as a, a user, as a donor, whatever you want to call me. I'm. I'm invested in this organization. I, I want to see what they're doing or want to consume their content because they've built up a level of trust with me. It's the same thing with Peter McKinnon. That guy is putting out great content on a consistent basis. Like I know early on in his career, his, his five minute stuff was great and I loved consuming all of it. And now that he's putting out eight and 10 and 12 minute videos, I know it's going to be just as great all the way through till the end. And so I'm willing to take that time to watch it through to the end because I trust him as a content creator. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think there's also a difficulty that organizations sometimes have is they see um, YouTube channels like Peter or Casey Neistat or those types of things. And they kind of expect their uh, presence to be able to match that. And um, it's a little bit false. I mean, people, I just know in Peter's instance, you know, people just like him. So they'd kind of watch him do anything. Right. Um, and so there's a personality aspect there that people are tied into and it's going to, it'll just inherently be hard for um, an organization to kind of match that type of momentum. Um, but there's definitely an element you have trust where you, uh, you know that you've watched something before of theirs and it, um, and it was good. And so you'll, be more willing now to um, to watch longer pieces, and you you trust the storytelling there. Yeah. So what to to transition a little bit? What is your approach to crafting a great story? Like what what do you how do you de, how do the stories that you tell develop from a small idea to final product? Is there a process that you process that you follow every time, or do you try to allow the stories you tell to come about organically? Like what does that kind of look like for you? 
Yeah, so I, um, it kind of, it a little bit depends on the client and how kind of fleshed out um, the concept is. If it's an agency, then, you know, I'm usually kind of coming on once all that's been decided. Um, but if it's my own, uh, my own project that I'm working on with a client, then I usually start uh, with a treatment form that, um, that I've had since college. My professor made it then, Arnold Triade, if he's listening. Thanks for the treatment for me <laughs> <laughs> and for all this, this training as well. Um, but so it's, it's kind of, it's pretty basic, but it's really helpful. And it's stuff that, um, that a lot of clients don't, don't really think through. Um, they just know that they need a video for this specific, um, gala or location, or they want to post online, but they haven't really thought through the details of, of what they want. Um, so it's really, it's like five elements. It's outlining your audience which I think is something that uh, no one does to enough of an extent um, because ultimately that's going to really decide what your style of video is and, um, and what your whole approach is going to be like a video that's made for, you know, late twenties, yeah, early thirties, young families is going to be totally different than something made for retirees um, or just, you know, different, racial ethnic uh groups in between um so it really helps to kind of outline in like a full paragraph even up to a page just what are these people like who you're making this video for um so i usually try to get a read on that from the client and then i'll kind of write out my own description of the audience and see if that matches with what they're thinking um, and then everything else kind of stems from there um so i, I usually have a goal which is what do you want people at the end of the video to do? Like, what do you want the call to action or, or the end response to be? And then um, what's your message? And that's kind of more of a philosophical thing. Like what, what's kind of your one, your story spine, your like simple sentence to describe what the thesis of the video is. Um, and then what the like specific format is, is it, you know, do you want it to be three to five minutes or do you want it to be longer? What's kind of the, the niche that you want to launch this on and and how do we kind of tailor it to fit that so that's kind of those are like the four the four main elements that i'll kind of walk through with people before i do something and then um to make sure we're all on the same page because then that all that gives you a lot of uh, freedom then later on to shoot down ideas which is something you definitely want to uh, want to have be prepared to do because then you can go back to the treatment and be like well there's a reason we're not that I don't think what you're saying is a good idea. And it's because we decided early on, that this is what our message is, or this is what the audience is. And I don't think this fits that. So it gives you something to kind of fall back on to then be able to, um, to kind of steer client critique as you go through the process. Mm. Kind of keeps you on message and on, on focus so that you don't, you know, get off on a tangent and, and get off topic with what you're creating. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's helpful for you as you, or for me as I'm editing, um, cause then I'll, you know, any piece that I'm including, I'm trying to think is that, does this relate to the message? And if not, I should cut it. Mm. Um, and then it's, it's helpful on the client facing level too. So you can kind of go back to them and be like, well, you know, we can change the message if you want, but, um, this is what we decided earlier. And, uh, and I don't think that's a good idea or it is a good idea or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the general, uh, like starting point. Yeah. The starting point. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of different kind of story structures. There's, uh, 
you know, I, I do generally, I guess, use kind of the three act idea when I'm outlining something. Um, but it may deviate from that. Because uh, some th- certain run times don't necessarily um, aren't as conducive to that kind of structure. So sometimes you you may deviate to a different kind of technique or um, or a different structure depending on kind of what niche you're trying to fit. Um, well, yeah, that's that's the hard balance, right? We have you know there there are very clear story structures that work really well and can engage people emotionally engage an audience. And we know work like at the feature feature film length type two hour type of film, you know, you have time to build out a a big long story structure and follow a structure that we know is going to work. Like every, every single big movies following hero's journey. And we just, unless you're making a two hour documentary film, you don't kind of kind of don't have the freedom to follow the the, the minutia of that story structure and so you got to maybe break it down to a three act story structure or or even break it down even more simply than that and and just communicate the conflict and need and then the flip side of that conflict and need with the hope and and always balance that so our to speak to that <clears throat> Because depending on the length of content you're creating, that's going to determine what kind of story structures you can tell. But is there something that you're always following? Like, are you always communicating a balance between the need and the hope? Or are you always communicating? I know you said that you didn't already, but like a three act story structure. Is there something that is just kind of your guiding North Star when you're structuring your stories? Um, not necessarily. Uh, I would say that the main thing that I always do is, is have that, that thesis statement and that kind of message that I have in mind. Um, and then that can kind of shift um, throughout as you go and kind of, you kind of become informed of, of what your film is shaping up to be as you go. And then you kind of need to go back and start again and, and um, reshape the beginning to be kind of, to fit what you've decided the film is. Um, so it kind of always changes, but um, yeah, I, so I, I think usually I, this might not be even a good technique. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm the best at story structure, but I I've often just kind of dive into the footage. That's kind of my starting point. And then um, different scene ideas or ways to cut things together. will kind of, um, come start coming to mind as I kind of start piecing together sequences. And then from there, I kind of figure out the story structure. Um, and so there's, there's obviously a lot that goes into beforehand, hopefully that you, you kind of know you need these story elements and most of the NGO stories do follow, you know, I, okay. I, I know I want this much, um, before and after, you know, hope and need to be able to balance later on. Um, but a lot of it I do end up doing in the edit, figuring out how to balance that when I'm shooting, it's, I'm just trying to pick up as many scenes as I possibly can, um, as much footage as I can get to kind of be able to work with later, because I know that I might not have the foresight right now to like totally figure out what the story is. And that's, that's when you don't know the story beforehand and you're just kind of having to show up and figure it out as you go. Um, but would you say that is not ideal? Like you'd rather go into a project having your script and having a structure at least a uh, 30,000 foot view of what the structure could look, is going to look like pre-production. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I always have an idea of, of what I think it can be. Um, but every single time it changes, like once you start doing the actual interview, unless you've met with that person physically before and you've done a pre-interview yourself, um, if you're just working off someone else's notes or uh, trying to figure out anything other than your own personal experience, and there's always going to be some twist that you encounter um, while you're shooting, at least for me, it always does. Um, and some aspect of the interview or of their life will become far more interesting than anything else that you had planned before. And so that's when you kind of start reshaping things um, on the fly. But yeah, definitely going into it, you want you want to have an outline, you want to have um, a direction in mind that if something doesn't steer you in a new direction, then you know I need to get these elements to make this story work. Um, yeah. But, but I'm always waiting for something that's going to be more interesting for me that then we can kind of divert what we'd planned mm-hmm. to reshape it around that. Well, and especially working in a nonprofit and, and Christian ministry space, we want to be in my experience. It's always like we, we want to balance having a strategy and plan in place and then being open to the Lord, like changing plans and and moving us in a new direction or showing us something like you said some showing us something about someone's story that's way more interesting than than anything we could have uh, dreamed up when we were scripting and strategizing for this story right like you want to be open to his guidance that he might show us something different than what we could have expected and so yes go into it with as much planning and strategy as you can and and be working towards edu- executing on that all while being open to, oh, wow, this is way more powerful. Let's go this direction, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, an example that comes to mind is I've been working on this personal project documentary this year um, about this guy I met last year. His name's Anthony, and he uh, used to be a like semi-pro hockey player and a uh, big mountain biker, and he worked for this company called Noon that I did a, a project for. They're like a electrolyte supplement um company um and so i met him at this conference that i was shooting and he was diagnosed last year with uh stage for colon cancer um and he shared at that that meeting he i just could tell he had a really cool perspective on life so i approached him on about just doing like a documentary on kind of his experience um and so I flew down in February to Salt Lake to to spend some time with him and his wife. And going into it, I thought it was going to be this like sports story about uh, you know this athlete who then had to deal with watching cancer um, kind of destroy his body that he had you know kept in um, such like fine tuned shape before then. Um, but then pretty quickly in the interview, uh, I realized like a day two of filming them, like this isn't a sports story. This is a love story. This is about the two of them supporting each other through this like impossible situation. Um, and I had done, you know, pre interviews with him. I had done a whole treatment that I'd sent to him and I'd talked to him a decent amount. And I thought I had a good handle on what the story was going to be, but it was only when like watching them interact together at their house and, and just seeing, their life play out that I realized that the story needed to be something completely different. Hmm. Um, and so I, those are the kind of surprises that you're always excited and like waiting for, and you hope they happen. You hope all your plans kind of get ditched so that you can <laughs> follow something that's, uh, that's even more beautiful than what you had maybe anticipated. Um, 
and that's where the human element then comes out because you can't anticipate those those little human ticks or those little things that are going to happen that um they're going that's the beauty of documentary that's why you're that's why you're doing a documentary and not a fiction film right you don't want to plan it out beforehand you want to be surprised yeah what are some of the resources you found along your journey that you've been particular that have been particularly helpful in developing your creative strategies and and maybe your storytelling approach? Do you can you point to any resources that have helped that process? Yeah, um, I was thinking about this question a lot, and I think that uh, there's a challenge, especially within the Christian and ministry space, um, to kind of immediately dive into. Um, technique. And I think one of the most important things to do for any storyteller is to develop good taste before you start, before you start diving into the nitty gritty of how you actually tell a story. I think you need to expand um, and develop your own taste so that you can recognize what's good when you see it. Um, So for me, and it's an ongoing process, I I wouldn't necessarily say that I have not trying to be pretentious. Like I have this impeccable (laughs) taste. Um, but it's something that I'm always striving to do where I'm, you know, I have a few film critics that I love. So, you know, when I see what their best films of the year are, I go and watch those. And even if it's not something that I personally like, um, you're trying to figure out what is it that people connected? Why did people connect to this? Why is it considered good? Um, you know, especially with like famous films, uh, not even Academy Award winners, but like um, the films that are considered part of like the the film canon. Um I'll watch those. And even if it doesn't line up with my personal, what I like to watch or what I would want to watch on a Saturday night or whatever, um, there's a lot of benefit that comes from just analyzing it and trying to figure out um, what makes it good and why people think it's good. Um, And so I, so I think that's something that especially within the Christian world um, can get overlooked a lot because there's, there's this whole segment of Christian media and people end up in this circular where they listen to Christian music and they watch Christian movies and they read Christian novels. And um, just frankly, a lot of those aren't good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this lack of development of taste where people just don't even, they don't have an appreciation for what, what good art can be. Um, so they won't be able to know it when they see it or make it themselves. Um, right. And so I think it's really important to, and not even just film, like I love reading, you know, you can learn a lot about making a film by reading poetry or from reading a good novel. Um, you're just trying to figure out what, what is it that I personally connect to? And then how can I have this kind of subconscious bank of influences that I'm pulling from when I'm making something myself? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's step one. And then from there you can dive into, all right, well, how is the story actually constructed? And, and then when I when I'm learning that, I can look to these particular things that I know are good or that I've decided are good, and try to figure out how that matches up with um, that film or book or poem or whatever it may be. Um, so on that level, there's I mean, story by Robert McKee is kind of the uh, screenwriting seminal book. Um, so I'll pick that up every once in a while and reread sections of that. Um, I was really into like film theory in college, so I'll still read film philosophy and stuff, but that stuff doesn't necessarily apply to end up applying to what I want to do as much as I maybe hope it does. Uh, (laughs) I I just, I just like reading it. Um, but there is, you know, a lot of benefit I think from 
like books by like Sergei Eisenstein in particular, he's the one who created montage theory where the concept that if you combine two shots together, it can create a third concept. So if like, if you cut from a, a man just staring at the screen to a bowl of soup, the reader's going to create the meaning that they're hungry. Whereas if you cut from the man to a field, like there's less connection there. So there's, um, with the film theory, there is this segment of practical things that you can learn um, that then you're kind of drawing from as well as you create things. Hmm. Um, there's a book called Notes on the Cinematographer by Robert Bresson. That's just a bunch of little quotes that he wrote down. Uh, and so I'll kind of read a few of those before I do a project just to try to try to get inspired. Um, he did a movie called Diary of a Country Priest that I really love. Um, he's pretty old school though, so he might not be for everyone, (laughs) but, uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of just things that I, that don't relate to story directly or to, um, filmmaking even that I think are just really important. Just if you want to be an artist and you want to be a storyteller, it's important to absorb a large amount of things that are outside of your own, um, what you would maybe naturally gravitate to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's particularly important with within the ministry space because, and this is something that I tell every client that we work with, is your organization is a needs to think about itself as a storytelling and media uh, organization that just so happens to uh, do the work that you do. And, and so organization leaders and organization creative directors and marketing heads over these organizations that um, are out in this ministry space need to be taking this stuff seriously and, and, and learning as much as they can on the, on the subject and the topic um, so that they're storytelling well and for the benefit of the organizations and also making sure that they are uh, respecting the, the space that they're in and, 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 storytelling well of the beneficiary and, and respecting that beneficiary. And and I think that uh, if we can like understand the process of storytelling holistically, uh, it, it allows us to do those two things really well. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you're trying to stand out within the ministry nonprofit space, the last thing you want to do is just be drawing from other nonprofits and ministry mm-hmm. content for your inspiration. Um, yeah, I, I hear it all the time. Like, oh, Charity Water just put out a new video. We want to do a video like theirs. It's like, well, right, right. Charity Water has a very different audience than your audience, or Charity Water has a very different strategy for their marketing, and that may not make sense for your organization. And so, let's not necessarily jump down uh, that rabbit hole and and follow Charity Water and everything that they do. Obviously, they're one of the best marketing firms. Um, and and storytelling organizations that exist in the ministry space, but that doesn't mean their model fits an, every single organization, and and their way of storytelling fits every single organization. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, there's a lot of different, yeah. Some of the most excited World Vision pitch meetings I've been in is where I brought in like a Nike commercial or an MLB commercial or something. And mm-hmm. people will be like, Oh, whoa! I never even thought about looking at sports. It's like, well, <laughs> it's just all the same. We're just telling stories. Like, yeah. we don't need to, 
we don't need to only draw from um, from the one the one niche that we happen to be in. Yeah. So based on what you know today, and this is the last question because I want to make sure that we – I'm respectful of your time. But based on what you know today, taking into account today's current marketing landscapes, what are some tips you can share that you feel would maybe change or reshape how a ministry approaches its marketing strategy, but specifically coming from you, your their storytelling process? Yeah, so these will be kind of repeats of um... – things I said, I guess, in the treatment form, but, um, I put, yeah, I wrote down three. So it's one to have a clear specific target audience. Um, and I think one thing that's really important to keep in mind with that is that the stories you're telling might not be for you. Like I've heard, uh, from a few clients, like I, I want this video to make me cry. And it's like, well, that might be a goal, but are you the audience? Like is, <laughs> Uh, that might not, you, you know, that might mean it is a good video. That's, that's fine if you cry watching it, but if you're not the audience, then it actually doesn't really matter, um, what your emotional response to it is. And we need to put it in front of someone who fits the audience that you're, that you're aiming for and see what their response is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that's a really hard thing when you're on a marketing team to kind of extricate yourself from the project in that way and, and realize that it's not made with you in mind. Um, but I think you'll have the best results if you're able to do that um, to some extent. Obviously, a video that's made for one audience can have a broader appeal. But if it's tailored more specifically to one audience, then it's always going to turn out better than if it's just kind of a scattershot. I hope some of this lands somewhere kind of um, right. strategy. Um, and then, yeah, so two, to have a clear, a clear message in mind, just a, a single um, guiding thought or idea, and then you can judge every story piece by, um, one of my friends, Nathan, he used to work for world vision as well. He works for a, an agency here in Seattle and their big storytelling thing is that, um, every story, the stories are tell, told biologically with survival information. But like every story gives us something that helps us survive. Um, and that, you know, that doesn't have to be in a purely evolutionary sense. Like that can be survive spiritually or survive emotionally or, or survive physically. Um, and I think that's, that's been something I've been trying to do with every story now too, is think through, yeah, how, what information is this story giving to me that, that I think is vital, um, on some bigger human level. Um, so that's always kind of the the guiding message that I'm trying to incorporate into a piece. Um, and then three, just to not get caught up in the minutia, especially this is maybe when you're giving, um, you're giving edits or you're giving critiques. Um, if you don't have the kind of bigger goals in mind while you're giving those critiques, then uh, there'll be someone useless so this is somewhat of you know the the editor in me getting frustrated with reading emails from time to time where it's like well you're totally missing the i didn't put that in just randomly like this has a purpose there so we can talk about the bigger the bigger picture but um and if you don't if you want to shift that then we can we can do that but there is kind of a bigger guiding uh purpose that we're trying to fit things into um so i think just keeping the bigger picture in mind when you're working on a project either as a storyteller or as someone overseeing that um, is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise everything can be fine tuned. Everything can be adjusted. Right. 
as long as you have that purpose infinitely that, that is at yeah. the core of what you're trying to say yeah exactly exactly that's good all right max well i think that that's about all the time we have can i pray for you and your company before we get offline yeah absolutely awesome father i just thank you for max and uh the talents that you have given him he's an incredibly skilled uh storyteller and and filmmaker and so i just pray that you would continue to uh, work in him and through him with the stories that he's getting to tell and i pray that you would bless his company bless him and um, uh, allow him opportunities to tell as many of the stories of what you're doing around the world as possible, Father. Thank you so much for his willingness to uh, say yes to go tell your stories well. Jesus, in, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Max, how can people get a hold of you if they want to hear more about your story or want to hire you? Um, yeah, so I have a website. It's uh, maxwellmoser.com. Um, I don't really, I'm not very good at keeping that up to date with projects, but it does have my current reel on there and some, um, a contact form and some previous things I've done. Um, and then Instagram is probably the other best way. Actually, it's at Maxwell T Moser. Um, and I just post photography or updates from projects on there. Um, and stories from my, uh, my daily life. If you want to keep up to that level so. <laughs> and, your, and your world travels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, cool. All right, Max. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.